The human animal is a savage beast, hidden under a thin veil of civilization, no better than those who walk on all fours. It is April 17, 1847. The last group of rescuers have entered what is now known as the Camp of Death, a makeshift settlement where the snowbound Donner Party had become trapped in a gruesome nightmare. The camp seems eerily abandoned. It is quiet, too quiet. The only thing left of the doomed pioneers are butchered and bloody remains, human bones and organs. The rescuers quickly find the severed and split head of George Donner, leader of the Donner Party. His brains missing from his skull. His wife Tamsin was nowhere to be found. After following some bloody tracks in the snow away from the camp, the rescuers were shocked to find German immigrant Louis Kiesberg still alive, wrapped in a blanket, surrounded by scattered human bones. He was preparing a pot of what appeared to be human liver and lungs. Kiesberg confessed to cannibalizing the other survivors after their deaths. But when the rescuers accused him of murdering Tamsin, Kiesberg insisted that she died naturally. Kiesberg would spend the rest of his life known as the murderous cannibal of the Donner Party. While he readily admitted to cannibalism, he was not the only member of the Donner Party to eat the dead. Hello, and welcome to the Spookies Podcast. I am Michael. And I am Stephanie. And Stephanie, today we're finally getting to the meat of the story. <laughs> the part you've all been waiting for. The part you've been craving. <laughs> But first, we're going to read some fan mail. We got some major uh, hater-aid this week. I love it. So the first email I'm going to read is from a guy named Matthew Sparks. His email is AspergerKing at gmail.com. He says, I have seen your Instagrams. You both look like kooks who fly around in UFOs. Wife has fake tits. Nice tits. Still fake. I get strong Scientology vibes from you both. Not impressed. By the way, I paid a lot for those tits. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Stephanie, tell me about your fake tits. I don't have fake tits. What a weird thing That's to say. That's a weird thing. It's like, oh, I'm complimenting your body part, but they're gross. But the, I'm also turned on. But sorry, you. Also, he calls us kooks, but he thinks there are people, not military. Civilians are flying around in UFOs, but we're the kooks. We're the Jetsons, man. How do you have a UFO in the backyard? I just want to say my UFO is pimped out. It has a Xbox Series X in the back. <laughs> so when we have kids, they can play that. And it's got like a boom box in it and a, and a laser light show. I recently saw a chicken coop that was turned into a UFO shape. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> I have nothing to say. That's... It was really cool. <laughs> All right. It was like the X-Files poster in someone's backyard with a bunch of chickens around it. <laughs> and you say I'm the only one who talks about the X-Files. Okay. So the next one is from Meredith Shelley, who is looks like she's a Wonder Woman cosplayer. That's cool. Right on. So thank you guys for the awesome podcast. Thank you, Meredith. I liked the takedown of Alex Jones. So did we. It was fun. <laughs> what was your inspiration for the podcast? Are you ever going to do an episode on the Whackers? Okay. The inspiration for the podcast was I wanted to make a lot of money. No. Uh, it was, I listen to podcasts. Uh, Stephanie hates them. No, I don't. And uh, yes, you do. No, I don't. And 
You don't listen to them. I, only, I know. I like them. I just don't listen. I to just them. only really listen to them when I'm crafting, and I haven't felt very inspired for a while, so I just haven't listened to them as often. I listen to them. I like them. I listen to Lore. I listen to Morbid. I listen to Generation Y. I used to listen to a certain X Files podcast, but the guy who runs it, not going to say his name, is a lazy bastard, and <laughs> he basically left it because he's a loser. Um. Inspirations would be like Unsolved Mysteries, The X-Files, and just other true crime podcasts like Lore, you know? Uh, I'm, I, and I love the macabre and the horrible, obviously. Well, I plan on listening Stephanie to Stephanie picked a winner. The X-Files uh, podcast, because I like the show. I actually like the new, the new show they did, even though Robert Stack has passed on and he's oh, a Oh, you mean the voice. Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah, the un- there's an Unsolved Mysteries it podcast. It is. It's good. I've listened to it. Yeah, I need to listen it's to good. it. Uh, about the Wackers. So the Wackers was this case first profiled on Unsolved Mysteries, and it's an elderly couple who are stalked for years, harassed for years, by an invisible assailant. It's very similar to the Cindy James case. So we will be covering it, but probably not until next season or even the season after that. It, it is interesting. It's fascinating. I like it a lot. But I have theories. Yeah. <laughs> she always has theories. I always have theories. I have theory, too. Okay, so the next email is from Derek Edwards, or Evans, and he says, the headline is, COVID is a scam. <laughs> Michael said, and he's referring to our Q&A we did last week, Michael said the Delta variant is fake. He is correct. Don't believe the media. They lie. Does Stephanie like black men? Are you going to do a podcast on media lies? I will never get a jab. No sheep here. Okay, first of all, I was joking about the Delta variant being fake. I do think the Delta variant is just COVID, and I think COVID is bad enough, so I think everybody should get vaccinated. It is as contagious as chickenpox, which is highly contagious. So it is. But I don't think it's. I think the their media hype over it is a little overdone. I do. It's honestly, people just need to get their fucking yeah. Get vaccines. the vax. Get the shot. We're not anti-vax here. Uh, my grandmother well, died right. Let before me make this clear. I know out. people who've died too. Right. We are not anti-vax. It's not funny for us. It's been a really serious thing. Um, going through quarantine was really fucking hard, and losing people. We not love for me because I don't like people. <laughs> was really fucking hard. Um, I was like, yeah, yeah. So it's upsetting, like when people are treating this like it's just some mild cold or some shit that people get because it's not. This guy's getting all his info from YouTube. I'm sorry. That's not be. I'm not being racist. He's just getting his shit from YouTube. And but he, the other question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Rose, I was going to answer that other question, sort of. Do you uh, like black men? That is non-applicable because. Are I, you racist? I am married. <laughs> so in a hypothetical this is a hard question for if you i by was the way. single no it's not um if you came in a darker package absolutely sexual chocolate i i, I would marry you <laughs> yeah yeah but see i i don't know why men always ask this like oh do you like guys with blonde hair or do you we like got a it? similar it doesn't matter when, i'm not when, looking for anybody we, you're still not in the running when we first started dating uh <laughs> there was a person that left a note on my car very similar to this <laughs> It's like, I've seen you around. Yeah. I'm black. I'm like, I'm... It's like, okay. Okay. Cool, man. I, yeah, I, I actually don't have a type, but um, that's not the point. The point is is that I'm not looking for anybody so um, or trying to get with anybody Well, else. that's good to know. I'm, 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 right? I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, so no divorce papers. So I'm great. No. My type was smart, funny, and uh, attractive. So that's... Well, you picked the wrong person. <laughs> 
But yeah, Evan or Derek, get it, get it, get get vaxxed, man. Yeah, get, get vaxxed. Get vaxxed. It's not it's not funny. Because honestly, not having a vaccine means you can't. Have I'm not even people. trying to insult you. Please, just get a fucking get, vaccine. Get vaxxed. Yeah, say you would you you'd be saving someone's life, maybe even your own. So you're going to keep it under control. It's not going to spread further. Little kids won't get it because children under 12 can't get the vaccine, at least here in America. I don't the know. The vaccine is not dangerous. Right. And oh. if you're worried about microchips, um, you have a giant one in your pocket. It's called your cell phone. Yeah. You're carrying a, you're, you're being monitored. <laughs> We're all being monitored. We're all being monitored. This podcast is probably being monitored yes, by, by the, the NSA. CIA. The NSA. And the CIA. <laughs> I'm sure they're, I mean, honestly, I think they're probably listening to us. They're on probably only the only people listening to us. I yeah. think I think most of these people that send in messages are just trolls. <laughs> they're just trolls. Yeah. <laughs> they don't listen to the podcast. They're just like, I saw your pictures. You're fucking weird. Fuck off. I got a boner. Now I'm pissed because yeah. I found out you're a fucking feminist. God damn it. You're a satanic. <laughs> satanic witch with witch hat. Okay. So I've got some jokes for you, Stephanie. Oh, no. I've got another cannibal joke. What was the cannibal given after he showed up late to the dinner party? I don't know what. The cold shoulder. Ew. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> this, this next one's going to get me in trouble, by the way. All the shit you say gets you in trouble. Yeah, I know, but I don't <laughs> fucking care. What does a cannibal call a disabled person in a wheelchair? What? Meals on wheels. <laughs> Now, all the virgins on Twitter are going to say, I'm ableist. The cat ladies with the purple hair want my head on a stick. They want to cannibalize me. I am not ableist, guys. I am just an asshole. That's all there is to it. I'm a fucking ass. Now, go touch grass. (laughs) That is my new favorite phrase. Yeah, we stole it from somebody on Twitter. Thank you, Phoenix. Yeah. I'm stealing your shit. I'm a colonizer. It's the funniest shit ever. Okay, I'm gonna say there. I'm I'm gonna be nice and say that there's a trigger warning for this episode. This episode is darker than Dracula's underpants. How I know what Dracula's underpants looks like, I have no idea. Do you know what they smell like? Yeah, mine. Uh, (laughs) I don't believe in hell or God or the sanctity of human life. I've proven this time and time again. But there is a special place in hell for Langford Hastings, the huckster who sold these poor people a trip to hell, basically. Mm -hmm. What a flaming pile of excrement he was. You know, he would definitely be in the cryptocurrency if he was around today. Yeah, he'd be slinging a five-year-old's like Epstein. (laughs) Bitcoin is incel shit, guys. If you have Bitcoin, you're an incel. Sorry. It's not just incel shit. It's fucking... Illegal activities shit, usually in the really, really disgusting, like, sex trafficking, murders for hire, I don't know. <laughs> I've I'd never, no, I would, I've never had Bitcoin, we'll never get Bitcoin, don't get Bitcoin. I hate Elon Musk. <laughs> well, get, yeah, why are we giving these fuckers any more money? You can die in a fire. That's basically script, and you need to look that up, it's called script, S-C-R-I-P. I hope Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos get into those rockets and blow up. <laughs> Fuck them. That would be so great. Fuck them both. Can they go back and then just stay there? So, Stephanie, the last time we left the Donner Party, they had been stranded in a snowstorm above Truckee Lake. Mm-hmm. After camping out for the night, they awoke to be buried in snow. I just want to say I hate the name Truckee Lake. How many feet of snow? Like, I don't know. I think at this point it's like 20. It's not quite 30, but it, it's they're buried. Holy shit, 20 feet is like a fucking building. They're buried. It's like a two-story building, They're isn't buried. 
Yeah. They were screaming when they woke up, by the way, apparently. Yeah. According to this book, this guy wrote about this. I've done my research. <laughs> uh, Trucky Lake. I don't like the name. I don't like the name at all. I think it's kind of cute. It's better than Donner Pass. Tru- Trucky Lake sounds like the name of a place druggies go to do meth and dick around in the woods. <laughs> it does. It sounds dick around in the woods. <laughs> That's going to be the name of my, the, my new band, Dick Around in the Woods. Um, the winter of 1846 and 1847 was historically catastrophic. The Donner Party was caught in one of the coldest, most brutal winters ever recorded in the Western Hemisphere, which resulted in everything from a deadly potato famine in Ireland to frozen tropics. So basically where most of our people come from, because we're pasty it, white folk, and yeah, it was, so it most was, of our people it probably almost, came in. It was almost like a mini ice age. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, at Truckee Lake, it kept getting colder and colder and colder. Colder than the blood running through Dick Cheney's veins. <laughs> They were in the middle of La Nina, uh, which is essentially Spanish for shitstorm of the century. The Donner Party endured no less than 10 blizzards while being stranded in this Sierra Nevada mountains, walking and living in snowfall as high as 30 feet in some places. Okay, so it's November 4th, 1846. 60 members and associates of the Breen, Graves, Reed, Murphy... Keesburg and Eddie families set up for the winter at Truckee Lake. Three widely separated cabins of pine logs served as their homes, with dirt floors and poorly constructed flat roofs that leaked when it rained or snowed. Nice. The Breens occupied one cabin, the Eddies and the Murphys another, and the Reeds and the Graves the third. The cabins were cramped and filthy, and it snowed so much that people were unable to go outside for days. And I just want to say, I would, I would probably just die of boredom. <laughs> I'd just be so bored, I'd die. Because I'm bored all the time anyways. I'd just be like, I'm fucking dead. Whatever. Yeah, just stash me with a pile of books. I can get through anything. Well, there's no books. Ah, oh, fuck. You'll be burning the books to keep warm. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I'll be burning Over the my corpse body, you're just we'll going to have to bu- eat me. We'll be burning all your witch Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a witch Bible. <laughs> They're first on the pile. <laughs> <laughs> my essential oils book. <laughs> yeah, that shit's... That shit's, I'm drinking essential oils to survive. Jesus Christ. The Donner family, it's Donner, by the way. It's not Jeffrey Donner. It's Donner. D-O-N-N-E-R. The Donner family can't. Wait, do people actually think that? Hold on, sorry. Yes, yes. I'm not going to get into it. But yeah. <laughs> God. The Donner family camped near Alden Lake. They tried building a cabin, but the snow pounded them so badly, they were, they were forced instead to set up some crappy tents. Which they thought were temporary. Temporary. Mm. Sadly, they would be in these tents for the duration. They would die in these tents. To make matters worse, this is important because we talked about it last time. The infection in George Donner's arm was spreading up, up, up. It's going up. That means it's going towards the heart. Yeah. He, it had become uh, gangrenous. Uh, from an injury to his hand sustained while uh, repairing a broken wagon axle en route to the winter camp. Because, you know, he was carving a new one because people back then we, could just do that. We told you guys to remember that little anecdote, and now we're paying it off. So despite t- Tams and Donner's best efforts, her husband would not survive the winter. He would become food for the Aspie ghoul, Louis Kiesberg. Tams and Donner stayed with her husband to the very end. All the Donner adults perished in the camp 
of death. Or, you know, what came to be known as a camp of death. Sounds like a Nazi thing, but yeah, it, it is the camp of death. By mm-hmm. the end, you'll be like, oh yeah, that was the camp of death. It gets grisly. Everyone was pretty much, ex- everyone else was pretty much exposed to the elements. The hired help, the Teamsters, those kind of people, were asked to assemble the tents and cabins. The families thanked the men by letting them sleep outside in the freezing cold. How nice. (laughs) By the time the party made camp, very little food remained from the supplies that Stanton had brought back from the fort. Sutter, Fort Sutter. Food was dangerously scarce. Most of the oxen and the cattle had been run off, killed, or frozen to death. There was only a a few left for the duration of the endless winter. What little meat remained they had was going to run out in a few weeks. So they're... And there's nothing for the oxen to eat. I mean, it's snowed under. Yeah. They're just fault dropping over dead. Right. Uh, they tried fishing at Truckee Lake with no success. It wasn't frozen over yet. Uh, William Eddy, who is kind but of... But maybe the, maybe the fish have left. If it's that, if the temperatures are plunging, they will go to warmer waters. I think they were just also really bad at fishing. These guys were mm-hmm. soft. There were some experienced men there, but I think they were mostly soft. You know, I probably would. I'm terrible at fishing. So I can't I, fish. I, I I have no <laughs> no opinion William on that. William Eddy, who is probably like the best person in the camp, he's also a very experienced hunter, killed a bear, but it was quickly devoured by the others. Margaret Reed and the other women begin to worry their children were going to starve to death. Most of the workers of the Donner Party had been reduced to fighting over dead mice and boiling their own shoes and clothing to make a disgusting jelly soup just to survive. Ox and horse bones were boiled repeatedly to make soup, and they became so brittle that they would crumble upon chewing. Sometimes they were softened by being charred and eaten. Bit by bit, the Murphy children picked apart the oxhide rug that lay in front of their fireplace, roasted it in the fire, and ate it. On Thanksgiving, it began to snow again, and the pioneers at Truckee Lake killed the last of the uh, oxen for food on November 29th. On December 15th, Bayless Williams, servant of the Reed family, lost his mind and died of malnutrition. The group realized they had some, something had to be done before they all died. They killed and ate their beloved pets. They were chewing on pine combs and pine bark, things that barely had any nutritional value. They were starving and they were freezing to death. They were all becoming delirious. They had to chew on something, so they chewed on anything they could find. This is the high point of the story, guys. This is, the, this is as good as it gets, by the way. It is only downhill from here. So next, Stephanie is going to tell us about the forlorn hope. The Snowshoe Party, what later becomes known as the Forlorn Hope. It was the snowstorm of the century. Life at Truckee Lake, a.k.a. the Camp of Death, was miserable. Everyone was starving and freezing to death. They slaughtered their pack animals, cooked their dogs, gnawed on leftover bones, and even boiled the animal hide roofs of their cabins into a foul paste. The Donner Party had begun to disintegrate. Spitzer died. Then Bayless Williams, a driver for the Reeds, also died starved to death. Franklin Graves fashioned 14 pairs of snowshoes out of oxbows and hide. On December 16th, a party of 17 men, women, and children set out on foot in an attempt to cross the mountain pass. This group would come to be known as the infamous Forlorn Hope. 
As evidence of how grim their choices were, four of the men were fathers. Three of the women, who were mothers, gave their young children to other women. They packed lightly, taking what had become six days' starvation rations, a rifle, a blanket each, a hatchet, and some pistols, hoping to make their way to Bear Valley. Two of those without snowshoes, Charles Berger and 10-year-old William Murphy, resigned and returned to the Donner Lake cabins early on. Other members of the party fashioned a pair of snowshoes for 12-year-old Lemuel Murphy on the first evening from one of the pack saddles that they were carrying. The snowshoes proved to be awkward but effective on the grueling climb. The members of the party were neither well-nourished nor accustomed to camping in snow 12 feet deep, and by the third day, most were snowblind. On the sixth day, William Eddy discovered his wife had hidden a half pound of bear meat in his pack. The group set out again the morning of December 21st. Stanton had been struggling for several days, and he re remained behind, saying he would follow shortly. His remains were found in that location the following year. The group became lost and confused. They battled hunger, starvation that led to delirium and extreme fatigue, hypothermia, caused by the prolonged exposure to very cold temperatures. He experienced hyperthermia, an abnormally high body temperature due to physical exertion, and they suffered snow blindness, which is akin to having a sunburn in one's eyes. After two more days without food, Patrick Dolan proposed one of them should volunteer to die in order to feed the others. Some suggested a duel, while another account describes an attempt to create a lottery to choose a member to sacrifice. Eddie suggested that they keep moving until someone simply fell, but a blizzard forced the group to halt. Antonio, the animal handler, was the first to die. Franklin Graves was the second. He perished cradling his daughters, and as he died, he begged them to consume his flesh in order to survive. As the blizzard progressed, Patrick Dolan lost his mind, stripped off his clothes, and ran into the woods. He returned shortly afterwards and died a few hours later. Not long after, possibly because Murphy was near death, some of the group began to eat flesh from Dolan's body. They ate in silence. Feasting on the flesh of the dead. Lemuel's sister tried to feed some flesh to her brother, but he died shortly afterwards. Eddie, Salvador, and Luis refused to eat. Luis and Salvador were two Native American guides whom John Sutter detailed to assist Charles Stanton in taking supplies to the Donner Party. Nothing is known about them for certain, but they were evidently young men, perhaps only teenagers, for some sources refer to them as the Indian Boys. They were members of the Miwok tribe, which was primarily located in Northern California. It is even possible they were enslaved. On a side note, the Miwok tribe was supposedly one of the inspirations behind the Ewoks in Star Wars. The next morning, the group stripped the muscle and organs from the bodies of Antonio, Dolan, Graves, and Murphy. They dried them to store for the days ahead, taking care to ensure nobody would have to eat his or her relatives. After three days' rest, they set off again, searching for the trail. Eddie eventually gave in to his hunger and ate human flesh, but the gruesome meat was soon gone. The group began taking apart their snowshoes to eat the oxhide and webbing, and discuss killing Luis and Salvador, the group's two Miwok Indian guides, for food. Eddie, tender and kind-hearted, warned the two young men. At first, they couldn't believe it. Then it became clear to them that these white people were going to murder and eat them. So they fled into the long, snowy night. Jay Fosdick died from starvation during the night, leaving only seven members of the party. He was 23 years old.
Eddie and Mary Graves left to hunt, but when they returned with deer meat, Fosdick's body had already been cut apart for food. Sarah Graves watched horrified as the group roasted her dead husband's heart on a stick. The group then talked about murdering and butchering Mary Ann and Sarah Graves because they weren't mothers. The snowshoers were battered and starving, their toes were black, and their feet were swollen and bloody from repeated frostbite. After several more days, 25 since they had left Truckee Lake, they came across Salvador and Luis, who had not eaten for about nine days and were close to death, lying side by side in the snow too weak to move. Delirious and crazed with hunger, William Foster shot the pair, believing their flesh was the rest of the group's last hope of avoiding death from starvation. According to historian Daniel James Brown, there is a process of elimination when it comes to survival cannibalism. When killing to survive, it is easiest to kill and eat whatever or whomever you are least attached to. Cattle before horses, dogs before family, before people, strangers before acquaintances, acquaintances before friends, friends before family. The pioneers didn't see Luis or Salvador as human beings because they had darker skin. They saw them as the other, having dehumanized them in their minds. Therefore, it was easier to kill and cannibalize them for food, so they became the victims of cold-blooded murder. Several days later, the group ironically stumbled into a Native American village looking so decimated by the journey that the camp's inhabitants initially fled. The Native Americans gave them what they had to eat, a mushy acorn soup. After a few days, Eddie continued on with the help of tribe members to, to a ranch and a small farming community at the edge of the Sacramento Valley. A hurriedly assembled rescue party found the other six survivors on January 17th. Their journey from Truckee Lake had taken 33 days. Of the 15 who left, only seven made it out alive. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Scientists believe the mind's resistance to the taboo of cannibalism is gradually broken down by the psychological stress caused by extreme starvation. When a human being begins to starve, their body sends off a warning signal called hunger. Hunger is a sign your blood isn't delivering enough fuel to your cells. When starvation reaches critical mass, your body begins devouring itself. To fight off starvation, the body must turn to its own resources for sustenance. First, it burns the carbs and sugars that provide energy. When they are gone, the body consumes its fat reserves. Eventually, nothing is left for the body to scavenge except muscle tissue, proteins. You are literally eating yourself alive. Your weakened heart will then develop an arrhythmia and eventually fail. Your organs start to shut down, including the frontal cortex of the brain. You are reduced to having a primitive lizard brain concerned only with basic survival, an animal that will do anything to survive. 
The lack of higher brain function is a state in which survival cannibalism goes from a morbid possibility to a nightmarish reality. A kind of cannibal psychosis takes hold. Suddenly, your dog or your neighbor looks like Chipotle to your starving brain. The freezing temperatures of the blizzard likely made the situation even worse for the Donner Party. The colder it gets, the more calories your body burns trying to keep itself warm. The loss of higher brain function is likely the scientific explanation for the myth of the Wendigo, a Native American legend about an evil spirit that possesses human beings and turns them into flesh-eating monsters. I learned in my abnormal psych class about how the creature lends its name to a terrifying mental disorder known as Wendigo psychosis, which is characterized by symptoms such as an insatiable craving for human flesh and an intense fear of becoming a cannibal. The myth of the Wendigo might explain Luis and Salvador's reluctance to eat the dead. Some form of the legend exists within almost all indigenous North American tribes. The basic tenet of the Wendigo is that the consumption of human flesh permanently changes and corrupts your eternal soul. One is never the same after they have tasted human meat. There is no going back. For as advanced and as civilized as we are, we are ultimately beasts with big brains. The story of the Donner Party forces us to face the ancient primal fear that we could be stripped of our humanity, drifting further and further into animalistic savagery. After being banished and left for dead, James Fraser Reed made it out of the Sierra Nevada mountain range to Fort Sutter in late October. He staggered to the gates, barely alive. As he recovered at the fort, Reed became more increasingly concerned for the fate of his family and friends. He pleaded with Colonel John C. Fremont to quickly gather a team of men to cross the pass and rescue the dying pioneers of the Donner Party. In return, Reed vowed to join Fremont's forces and fight in the Mexican-American War, an armed conflict between the United States and Mexico that lasted from 1846 to 1848. On January 2, 1847, Reed, a veteran soldier of the Black Hawk War, fought in the Battle of Santa Clara. It was the only incursion of its type in Northern California during the war. While in the area, Reed took steps to secure land for himself in Santa Clara, where he hoped to bring his family after they were rescued. Reed's first rescue attempt ended in utter failure. He was joined by William McCutcheon. They, along with two guides, headed into the snowy Sierra Nevada mountains, into darkness, into an icy abyss. Reed's two guides deserted Reed and McCutcheon with some of their horses, but they pressed on farther up the valley to Yuba Bottoms, walking the last mile on foot. They soon found their path blocked by a massive wall of snow. Despondent, they turned back to Sutter's Fort. In early February 1847, Reed led a rescue effort for the stranded Donner Party. Reed rounded up men and supplies in the Sonoma and Napa Valleys north of San, Francis San Francisco Bay and headed into the mountains. Reed met his wife, Margaret, his stepdaughter, Virginia, and son, James Jr., coming out of the mountains. After an emotional reunion, Reed and his men continued on to the Camp of Death, where his remaining children, Martha, eight, and Thomas, three, were still stranded. Reed led a party of survivors out from the camps, but a severe blizzard trapped them at the top of a mountain for two days, during which the party ran out of food. When the storm passed, 
most of the refugees were too weak to continue. Reed departed with his children but had to leave the others behind. A few days later, however, another party rescued them. James Reed is a complicated figure. He is both the hero and villain of the story of the Donner Party. He is the best and worst of us. His arrogance and faith in Langford Hastings' disastrous shortcut led to the death of 42 people and countless animals. The murder of Luis and Salvador happened because of James Reed. The death and cannibalization of 12-years-old Lemuel Murphy happened because of James Reed. Jacob Donner, brother of party leader George Donner, starved to death and was eaten by his own wife and children because of James Reed. Everyone has blood on their hands and often in their stomachs in this story. On the other hand, James Reed was a brave man who selflessly risked his own life to save the people who had banished him and essentially left him to die in the wilderness. He was a soldier, a warrior, and a tough bastard. His entire family were strong people, and all of them survived except his mother-in-law. None of them resorted to cannibalism. As for Langford Hastings, a huckster and likely sociopath, he would go on to be a major in the Confederate States Army during the American Civil War. History remembers him as an oily con man who caused a horrible American tragedy and as a traitor to the United States. After the war, he and his fellow ex-Confederates tried to establish colonies in Brazil, like Nazis after World War II. He died in the Virgin Islands from yellow fever in 1870. It could not have happened to a nicer guy. Louis Kiesberg came out of the Darna Party tragedy with a reputation as a murderer and a thief and a cannibal, a ghoul who preys upon the living and feasts upon the dead. When he was rescued, he was found with Tamsin Donner's money on him, and many believe he murdered and ate her. Her body was never found. Sus. Yeah, very sus. Kiesberg's infant son, Louis Kiesberg Jr., died. He was buried in a snowbank by his mother. A relief party arrived in February. Kiesberg refused to leave. That's kind of weird. Instead, his battered wife, carrying their daughter, daughter Ada left the camp with the relief party. Ada died on the journey and was buried by rescuers Reason Tucker, great name, and Daniel Rhodes in the snow. After he was rescued, Keesburg confessed to William Eddy that he had eaten his son. William Eddy's son. Yeah. Eddy threatened to kill Keesburg, uh, a threat he never made good on. Eddy is, is too good of heart. He is not a guy who will... To kill people, so I guess. Kiesberg allegedly bragged to the rescue party about dining on frozen corpses, despite having plenty of ox meat in his cabin. According to one account, which came from the surviving Donner Party children, Kiesberg had taken a young boy to bed with him one night and killed him by morning, later hanging his carcass on the wall like a slab of game. Now, if that doesn't, if, if that's not a great image, I don't know what is. I think all the children were saying this too. Yeah. There's a lot of yuck in that paragraph. Mm-hmm. The most sickening rumors may have come from Keysburg himself. The story goes that after settling in California, he would frequent the local bars and brag about his cannibalistic depravity to anyone who would listen. In this version... Keesberg claimed that human meat was more delicious than California beef, 
or, you know, hamburger helper for you, Stephanie. <laughs> he described Tamsin Donner's liver as the sweetest bite he had ever tasted. Keesberg was later caught plundering Native American burial grounds at night looking for fresh meat. God. Is that not the stuff of nightmares? I don't so know what gross. is. Whatever the source of the gruesome stories, they led to legal trouble. Keesberg was ultimately charged with murdering six of his fellow Donner Party members, including Tamsin, but was acquitted on each account due to lack of evidence. He then tried to sue the men who rescued him for defamation. He won, but his reward was just $1, which was barely enough to cover the court costs. And and yes, that is fucking hilarious. (laughs) Here's a dollar. Now go fuck off. (laughs) Life never got easier for Keesberg the cannibal. And yes, I'm going to call him that. And if there's any historians who listen to me who don't think this guy is an asshole, fuck off. He beat his wife. Yes. Fuck this guy. One guy was like, he beat his wife, but he wasn't that bad of a guy. And it's like, uh... If you're beating your wife, you're a pretty piece of shit person. He's garbage. Yeah. He was a bad person before the Donner Parter tragedy. There's a question of whether he's a person at all afterwards. Now, towards the end of his life, he gathered enough money to open a hotel in Sacramento. But this endeavor quickly failed. As it turns out, people don't want to stay in an inn run by a cannibal and alleged murderer. The creepy hotel soon burned to the ground, and the cause of fire was undetermined. <laughs> I arson. think I think the arson in this case is entirely justified. Burn the cannibal hotel to the fucking <laughs> ground! Keesberg's wife died in 1877 and the widower lived out the remainder of his life poor and struggling to care for the couple's mentally disabled children. Children, interestingly, born after the Donner Party nightmare. The, you know, the cannibal barbecue. Yeah. Keesberg died penniless in 1895, nearly half a century after the events that came to define everything about him. To this day, no one knows where he is buried. Well, at least his story had a happy ending. <laughs> Whoever or whatever made it out of the camp, it wasn't the same Keesberg. Something about this story deeply unsettles me. It's clear there was darkness under the surface waiting to break free. There always was. While I previously dismissed the possibility of the Wendigo as a myth, there's something about Keesberg's behavior after he escapes that makes me think maybe, just maybe, there is a grain of truth to the legend. Wendigo? Yes or no? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. We're because... Gonna go, we're going to go with the crazy here. No, no. I don't think it's crazy. I think there's a reason why some folktales persist, and I think they have um, their roots and relevance. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be folktales. Yeah. So, As I mentioned earlier, uh, it's in every Native American culture. There's a version of the Wendigo. And that can't be an accident. I mean, North America is, is a really hard place to live you know, before quote-unquote civilization takes hold. Um, It's beautiful, but the weather is all over the place. Um, It's not not an easy uh, place to survive in. No. So I I imagine that people who, you know, earlier peoples who lived here um, may have experienced harsh winters or droughts or things like that that would have made, like, animals scarce and, and maybe things like that occurred. And they weren't the same. 
And so that taboo takes place because um, you don't know what could happen to you after going through a trial like that. It's better to die than to resort to eating. Well, maybe he just developed a beings. taste for human flesh. Yeah, and that goes back to that um, mental disorder you talked about, I think. The Wendigo sickness. Right, right. But it's also this idea that you're changed, like spiritually changed after consumption of human flesh. Right, so I don't think maybe like every single person who has to go through that. It's tied into this idea also after you take a life, you're never the same. Yeah. But if you take a life into you by consumption, it maybe changes something else altogether. Right. And this is this might have even been where stories of werewolves started with things like this. So. I mean, it seemed like he enjoyed it. If that's tr- like if it's true, the you know him talking in the bars and maybe he's just bragging. But if that's true, that that sounds like he's he's and he enjoyed having power over other people. Well, there was something off about him. Like he was always kind of antisocial, and I made a, a you know kind of a joke about that earlier, but. His behavior, he maybe he was suffering from some kind of disorder already. I'm not saying, I'm not saying somebody who has autism is going to turn into a cannibal. We're not. We're I'm not, saying maybe he had syphilis or something. Yeah, it does he go could into have your brain, and they had children. His, he and his wife later had children that had um, mental handicaps. I also like the idea that he became a Wendigo, and his children <laughs> were mentally disabled because she made it with the Wendigo. <laughs> I don't think it's that's why. That's my Mulder theory. <laughs> that's not why. But it's great. Most likely it's something like syphilis. I'm going with that because it's great. They had, they had syphilitic children. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going with that part. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention was um, Kiesberg is the one who was really, really all about killing James Fraser Reed after the incident with the... Um, that's interesting. With Schneider, who uh, was beating the oxen and Reed's wife and the drover and then beating Reed himself. And then Reed stabs his ass because he's a menace. And the person who is the biggest proponent of killing him, not just, you know, hey, let's get rid of this guy. Ends up being an alleged murderer. Right. And definitely a cannibal. And eating people and holding court. And, <laughs> and yeah, an there's something with next. With nobody alive I'm except not for him. I'm not going to say what it is but when we talk about the rescuers next there's something else that kind of makes the whole thing even more disturbing so i'm I'm keeping that under seat under wraps to reveal so we're gonna next we're gonna wrap up and talk about the rescue and kind of the what became of reed and everybody so that's coming up next okay so before we get get back to the uh, cannibal cowboy barbecue I just want to address something in an email we got that we read off earlier. Stephanie and I are not Scientologists. Stephanie is a witch who has pledged her eternal loyalty <laughs> to Satan. And I believe in nothing. <laughs> I, not. I, am a, I am a heretic who believes in nothing. I, I, if I believe in anything, it is the uh, Lovecraftian view of the gods above. I believe the god... if. God, there's a pantheon of gods, and they don't give a fuck about us. So that's why I'm a nihilist. Um, I, we do like Tom Cruise, though. So I love Tom. Cruise. I like his movies. I just want to keep his. He should keep his Scientology to himself. I like when Tom Cruise yells at people. I will say though, if Tom Cruise ever wakes up to the fact of how horrible Scientology is, he will burn that shit to the ground. It's never going to happen. Oh, I just wish it would happen. You know how awesome that would be. I like Tom Cruise. R- yelling as much as i like him running at people <laughs> or running you know away from people what about uh, tom cruise on the 
the motorcycle. He's yeah, it's all right. Guy. I like him with guns too. He looks good. He does look good with guns. So does Keanu Reeves. Yeah, they both look good with guns. Um, but the thing is, okay, Tom Cruise is, Scientol- is a Scientologist, but at least he's not a YouTube film critic or a COVID <laughs> denier or a cannibal. And uh, with that, I'll let you take us to the camp of death, Stephanie. Let's get into it. On February 18th, the seven-man rescue party scaled Fremont Pass, now Donner Pass. As they neared where Eddie told them the cabins would be, they began looking for survivors. Mrs. Murphy, frail and near death, appeared from a hole in the snow, stared at them and asked, Are you men from California, or do you come from heaven? I think this speaks to how delusional the people in the camp had become. Yeah. Twenty-two people were chosen to go with the rescue party, leaving twenty-one in the cabins at Truckee Lake and twelve at Alder Creek. A total of thirteen people at the camps were dead, and their bodies had been loosely buried in snow near the cabin roofs. The camp reeked of rotting flesh. Dead bodies were everywhere. The camp is buried under 30 feet of snow. Let that sink in for a moment. Holy fuck. (laughs) The camp is buried under 30 feet of snow. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I'm not shoveling it. (laughs) Among those rescued were Keysburg's wife and his three-year-old daughter, Ada. Ada Keysburg died on the trip back. Her mother was inconsolable, refusing to let the decomposing body go. She carried the rotting corpse around like a macabre doll. Two men from the rescue party managed to wrestle the decaying corpse of Ada from her mother's arms in order to bury her in the snow along the way back. One of the rescuers later remarked, Her soul went to heaven, but her body belongs to the wolves. Damn. William Hook, age 12, died on the way back after being rescued. He gorged to death at Bear Camp on February 28, 1847. Uh, And this is basically something called uh, refeeding syndrome. Uh, Your body is not accustomed to food, so the spike in insulin caused by a large increase in sugar causes all the electrolytes in your blood to enter cells. Uh, The sudden decrease in electrolytes in your body eventually leads to death. It's, It's like a fatal shift in fluids and electrolytes. I mean, it's basically a shock to the system. You put too much food in, and your body can't handle it. It also happened to the Holocaust survivors when the camps were liberated in World War II. Right, so we learned this um, tragedy again (laughs) in Nazi internment camps, and also from starving orphans from warfare in many countries in Africa, trying to to feed them. You know, the countries we don't give a shit about. America, I mean... (laughs) And and there was there's something that they even did, um, and I can't recall. It's I, I believe it was like a Red Cross nurse came up with a way to feed children with like peanut butter and oats rather than just white rice to to not only um, keep them from dying and starving, but to also nourish their bodies and bring them back to health. Because when you start when you're starving that badly, your organs are starting to shut down. Yeah, your brain function decreases. Talked about. Right. All those things are happening to your body. So trying to just shove a bunch of food into someone who's sick like that, in particular children um, who could be more um, weak because they're smaller, is is very hard. Well, when I was sick back in February and I hadn't eaten in a week, uh, when I tried to eat after not eating in a week, it it was really hard. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, you can even experience it from just you know, just for being ill. It, it does this weird thing to your body. It's yeah, really your stomach starts to shrink and and it's hard to take in the calories. Your digestion changes. Everything changes. It's really hard to eat real food again. So, moving on. On March first, the second relief party arrived at Truckee Lake. These rescuers included veteran mountain men, rugged manly men in the full bloom of their manhood. <laughs> the group is led by none other than James Fraser Reed. Nothing could have prepared he and his men for what they found in the camp. James Reed entered the Murphy cabin. The floor was covered in blood. There were gnawed human bones scattered all over the floor, pieces of scalp with the hair still attached. He found a group of children in the cabin under the care of Mrs. Murphy. They were filthy and feral. Blood smeared across their lips and cheeks. It had been the children who had eaten the dead. One of the rescuers said they looked more like demons than human beings. As if the story couldn't get any worse, guys. <laughs> now, we, got, we got cannibal kids. Cannibal kids. I, I'm assuming that they turned into cannibals after getting the COVID vaccine. Right, Steph? Yeah, that must be it. Uh, yeah, Wendigo kids wanted grandpa and grandpa and their SpaghettiOs. <laughs> it's all Lord of the Flies up in here. <laughs> the Donner children had turned to cannibalism as well. They had feasted upon the organs of their dead father. George Donner died watching his own children devour his only sibling. Donner family got blown the fuck out. I told you guys this was an unhappy story. Actually, Reed got his family and got the hell out of there. Supposedly, some of the rescuers didn't want to save the children. They were too disturbed and frightened by them. Like I said, it's like children of the corn. He wants children of the corn back. Reed should have taken out his gun and shot all the kids. no. Yes. They're the children of the corn. Fuck them. <laughs> no, this is when another blizzard hits the rescue party in the camp. Yeah. The same that stranded Reed on the mountaintop where they nearly ran out of food. So it's pretty hard rescuing them, getting to the camp and the people who are left in the camp. And there's a whole ordeal of them going back, but we're not going to get into it. We kind of alluded to it earlier, but if you want more, read about it. So it, it's interesting. There's like a billion books. Yeah. Elizabeth Graves and her son Franklin perished before the third rescue party could reach them. Mary Donner suggested after the group left that they eat the dead. By the way, Mary was only seven years old. She had already eaten her uncle and developed a taste for human flesh. I hope if we ever have a kid, Stephanie, she doesn't turn out like Mary. <laughs> she probably will, but whatever. <laughs> as long as she doesn't eat dog. No. Or cat. Yeah. By the time the third rescue party arrived on March 14th, the camp was a horror show of severed arms, legs, and torsos. The children had stripped the flesh off of Elizabeth Graves' bones, eating the heart, the liver, and her breasts. They had also eaten another child, Isaac Donner. He was five years old. Fuck. Although she didn't know it at the time, nine-year-old Nancy Graves had eaten her own mother. Mm. Something that would haunt her for the rest of her life. Reportedly, she would burst into tears whenever someone brought it up. That's incredibly cruel. Yeah, even I wouldn't do something like that. That's fucking terrible. I mean, like, you've been through that, and they're like, uh, you know. I think they thought she was a, she was a monster. They're like, hey, Nancy, Nancy, you ate your mom. <laughs> Maybe they thought she was a Wendigo. Bunch of asshole kids. Kids are such dicks. It's not just kids. It's, it's adults. Fuck their dicks, too. Until she died, people were bringing this up. God. Yeah. They just, like, can't leave it alone? They have no. to just say this stuff They her? never let anybody involved in this ever forget about what they've done. That's fucking terrible. Yeah. Especially the kids, because it's not their fault. You know, they don't have any control. I don't know about that. Well, but... 
fine. Yeah. <laughs> of the 87 people who went on this journey into the darkness, only 48 survived. Only the Reed and Breen families remained intact. The children of Jacob Donner, George Donner, and Franklin Graves were orphaned. William Eddy was left childless. Most of the Murphy family had died. Only three mules reached California. The remaining animals perished. I guess mule meat doesn't taste as good compared to people. Most of the Donny Par Donner Party members' possessions were lost to history. So they never went back for their stuff, all that stuff that got cashed, cashed along the way. Yeah, so... After the Salt, salt Lake what can. Do you, what do you take away from the story? Well, I take away particularly about um, James Fraser Reed. Reed was overconfident, being extremely accomplished in his own right before setting out to California. In his hubris and trust of Langford Hastings, that fucker, Reed believes the party can leave for California in late spring, so he thinks they can leave in May um, with only four months rations because of that shortcut. He thinks, oh, well, this will be fine. We can leave late. We'll get there in half the time, so we don't need to pack as heavy as normally we would. Reed is smart, he's resourceful, and he's tough, and he believes this to be true of others. I believe it's one of his greatest weaknesses, and it's also his greatest strength. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this story is so fucked. Um, yeah, because I, I, like, I like James Reed. I do. I, like, I do, too. I like him. I like James Reed. I mean, yeah, he fucks him, but at the same time, he was conned by an He's asshole who, who had convinced them that this Th was a good idea. This all happened because of that douche canoe, Langford Hastings. Exactly. So if Langford Hastings hadn't hadn't been so persuasive, and he almost, by the way, he almost persuaded um, Abraham Lincoln into this fucking mess. So, well, that was that was Reed, though. Yeah, but because Reed had been convinced, yeah, my, that's my that's point. True. That's my point. So, really, truly, really, the ultimate villain is Langford Hastings. Because of Langford Hastings, even the people that survived lived happily ever after with PTSD and trauma. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, and I do think there are, you know, we've met people. Um, I, I mean, I think many people have met people who are just really tough and resourceful and they measure people by their own yardstick. And it's not fair because it's we're not all like you. We're not all gods. We're not all the rock, you know, like joint. Uh, is it? It's Dwayne, right? Dwayne Johnson. The du rock. Yeah. Dwayne the rock Johnson. Yeah. I can't say his name. <laughs> I can call him the weird rock. name. Dwayne. He doesn't, he doesn't look like a, he doesn't look like a Dwayne. Right, but he's like he's he's one of those human beings, right? Like he is like just his mental fortitude is so tough and strong and he's able to transform his body and I think just like your husband. <laughs> and I think James Fraser Reed was another one of those human beings. He had fought in a uh, Native American Civil War, had befriended uh, people, learned um I'm assuming um what do they call that? Survival? Survival craft. Um, he killed a guy with a knife. He had even um, uh, worked in a mine. So this guy is a tough motherfucker. But this is the the, the thing with the knife. Actually, is it's kind of it shows a lot about this whole story, which is that he go he's he's being called aristocratic. He's this rich guy, but then in that moment when he gets into the fight, he is savage and he kills this guy. He's a soldier. He swiftly mm -hmm. enters that mode and he is he's gone. Well, because he's a soldier. He, Knife to the heart. Knife you're, to the heart. You're but, dead. And you know, if you're if you're fighting against um, rival tribes and stuff, they they typically fought hand to hand combat, didn't they? I mean, not. I mean, besides bows and arrows, and they would have rifles. But yeah. once your bullets run out, 
than you, you a, have to use water. You gun. have to use. Yeah, you, you have to use water guns. No, <laughs> you're down to axes and knives. So I imagine he he got very good at that shit if he survived that crap. And then, like, this is how much of a badass he is. So he gets he gets a uh, uh, you know tossed from the party for basically saving their asses from the crazy bastard who's like thumping on everyone, beating on the oxen, <laughs> and they're like, and Keysburg the dick is like, yeah, let's kill him. Let's kill that guy. Let's get him out of here. And uh, Keysburg the ghoul. <laughs> Keysburg who ends up being a total ghoul. Hannibal Berg. <laughs> and it, in an odd way, it saves their asses because if they hadn't thrown him out. Um, he wouldn't be there to survive to to come and rescue them, and he, and he is that determined to go get them back, not just his family, because he goes back a third time, or I'm sorry, he goes back with a third party, yeah, um, to rescue them. So he doesn't just go the that first time to find his family. Um, I guess why I'm saying first and second because he went one time, got stuck in it's, the snow. It's, it gets it, it gets, gets muddy, and then he yeah. goes a second time, and he makes it through, and then almost dies on the way back because they run out of food, and the the winter is so fucking terrible, and then he goes back a third time. And then he's and he sees the cannibal children, the children of the corn. But what I was going to say was, um, he he's at that. Was it Fort Sutter? Mm-hmm. So he's at Fort Sutter, and the uh, Spanish America War. Am I saying that right? Yeah, the Spanish or the Mexican America Mexican America War. Sorry, Mexican American War uh, breaks out, and they're like, "Yo, Reed, you're a fucking soldier," and he's like, "Fine, fine, but I'm only going to do this shit if you help me out." So. Again, it's always making deals. This this to me speaks of someone who's very resourceful, very confident, um, probably has a little bit too much optimism because <laughs> he even gets land. He uh, he secures land for himself and his family. So he believes, I'm going to get my family. I'm well, I, get I'm like that. I believe I'm going to win. I'm going to save them. I'm going to win. Yeah. Uh, there's something really indomitable about his spirit, and I really admire that, even though he's the one that leads them into this this peril. But I don't ultimately blame him because I think that really does land on the shoulders of Langford Hastings. It does. It's a douche canoe. Who's a treasonous bastard. And a douche canoe. <laughs> and a douche canoe. <laughs> well, the other villain of the story is uh, Kiesberg. And I've seen some historians try to defend Kiesberg or say, oh, it was, you know, it was kind of hyped up, but he wasn't that bad. He was a wife beater. Yeah. He abused his wife. And they never found Tamsin Donner's body ever. He killed her. He said she. They threw her in her lake. They searched the lake in the spring, and later anthropologists have looked for her have body. They have looked for her body. They have never. He murdered found her. her. He probably murdered that. Ki- he murdered that kid and hung him up. Mm-hmm. Which kid? There's a kid that he murders. Did we, we ever know which which one of the children? I is don't. One of the children. I forget. Whatever. But he murdered him. Yeah. We talked about it. Right. And he could have. Mur- did he murder any other children, or was that just? We the don't one? know. We, we don't, don't know. know. So he's like the king lord of the Lord of the Flies of the camp. Uh, uh, I kind of feel like maybe he was terrorizing people there. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, what I'm, happened to him? I'm the, just guessing. The mystery of the story is: is the Wendigo real? Is yeah. this a real thing, or is this just a psychosis? And I can go either way. Well, I kind of again, I kind of think it's a real thing because um, you know the folktale is is buried in the in the truth. So I think maybe not everybody. All new, also, all new truths begin as myths. Right. So not everyone who eats who has to eat people um turn into monsters but some of them do i guess it depends on how much you eat <laughs> depends how much you eat and how much, how much of you a, like it how much a crazy fucker you are even before this starts and i don't think keysburg was a very nice guy 
No, this situation brings out, it makes the bad people worse, uh-huh. and it brings out the best in some people who maybe weren't the best. Like William Eddy, and you said something that I... Um, he always supposedly had a had a kind heart. He had a kind heart, but he had been a little huckstery himself. He is a kind of, a, he's kind of, they're all kind of grifters, and you know, he's an entrepreneur. It's a very American way, But he's a way. tough guy. He's, he's a, tough. He, he, and he loses his... He loses his kids, so he he's tra- and his wife died too. It's, I, yeah, it's tragic. It's awful. So, so he's you know, and he goes back too. And he's the one. He's the one who he tries goes to, to the save camp too. He their... goes back in the rescue parties too. Yeah, and he tries to save um, their Native American guides because he knows that that's wrong. He never sees which them as gets other. glossed over in the history is that they murdered two Native American men. Right, they never count them in the survival. Tools. And I know you're going to call us woke, but yeah, it's a big fucking. It deal. is a big fucking deal because. What the hell? They're not a part of the team. And I think that's why they were so shocked a bit with about it. Like, dude, we're out here trying to one, survive with you. One historian. How could you eat us? <laughs> I forget his name. But one historian was saying, you know, we always focus on Keysburg and that. But he's like, nobody talks about the Native American guides. He's mm-hmm. like, I'd rather they talk about that than this crazy guy, Keysburg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's 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 kind of less, uh, you know, sensationalized. or It's just it's just awful that they murdered and ate these men. Yeah. That these they young saw men. them as, as something else. And. I I'm, I imagine, I, I hope they weren't enslaved. I really hope that wasn't the truth. And maybe they were just um, more of that young men at the time. I hope they were dying and not. And didn't w- know what was happening. Uh, yeah, because there's some accounts that uh, William Eddy claims they weren't dying, that they were alive and they, you know, they were, they were ill because they hadn't eaten, mm-hmm. but they were just. But they were lucid. They were laying by a bank and uh, that guy just shot them and killed them. Because he didn't give a shit. Yeah. And then ate them. And that's what's really terrible. That's terrible to me. That's a really terrible thing to do. Um, because clearly those two guides considered the group they were with their friends. Yeah, they were in disbelief. And their comrades. I those are those people. find that- really interesting. Is yeah. They- like they've accepted them, but then the white people don't accept them. That's so shitty. Well, it is, you know. Fucking white 19th people. 19th century America. It's still white people. <laughs> so for me, the story of the Donner Party, which looms so large in our dark history um it's not only a metaphor for manifest destiny but also a microcosm of the u.s itself just as the donner party consumed each other we consume the pristine beauty of the american west with fire and blood yeah and even yellowstone's not the same no and there, you know certain administrations have gone in and tried to annex parts of national parks and say hey they're not national parks anymore and they're doing this with the pipelines up in north in the dakotas there's just a lot of shit going on in this country that if you start to peel back the layers it's pretty still it's pretty ugly and it's still happening we're still animals <laughs> we're still animals and we're still treating native americans like shit and that really pisses me off yeah well not much has changed everything has changed and yet nothing and yet nothing has changed <laughs> and i'll leave it there all right so on Wednesday, we're doing a Q&A where we read off uh, more emails of how much people hate us. And <laughs> uh, Yeah, you'll, you'll just have to see it for yourself. So I'm going to be drinking some alcohol and reading some awful emails. And then next Sunday, we're going to talk about Satanism in the 80s. Satan? We're going to have a party about Satan. Could it be Satan? Yeah, we're going to talk about what you know who Stephanie worships. So, <laughs> All right, guys. Michael, ta- before you go, yeah, where can they find you? On the socials? Uh, they can find me at, at Agent Bigfoot. On Twitter? Yeah. And what about Instagram? Uh, spooky Michael. He's Spooky Michael on Instagram. And you can find our podcast at, at the Spookies Podcast on Twitter. 
Well, it's the Spookies podcast, Spookies pod on Twitter, the Spookies podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to email us, it's the Spookies podcast at gmail.com. Uh huh. And then you can find me at Steffi Hell Yeah on, um, let's see, that one's my Twitter. And then Stephanie Hell Yeah is uh, Instagram. So and then at an altar worshiping Satan. <laughs> I'm so glad. Blood and horns. I'm so glad you guys have uh, come along with us and listened to this. Um, We love getting hate mail. It's great. We love it. We love getting love mail too. It's great. So I getting told I love to eat butt. Yeah, keep sending it. Keep sending that stuff, and we'll keep sharing it and and flipping you off. (laughs) And until next time, bye. Bye bye.